We're studying Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 7, Chapter 5, and we are in verse 32, which is a famous verse. Um, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Okay, so we're on text 32, a very a famous verse. Unless they smear upon their bodies the dust of the lotus feet of a Vaishnava, completely freed from material contamination, persons very much inclined towards materialistic life cannot be attached to the lotus feet of the Lord, who is glorified by his uncommon activities. Only by becoming Krishna conscious and taking shelter at the lotus feet of the Lord, uh, in this way can one be freed from material contamination. Okay, so let's look at the purport. Um, first of all, I really appreciated Prabhupada's. Um, he called the modes of material nature strong. <laughs> and I'm sure we have all had experience of their strength at different times in our life when we feel almost pushed to behave in a certain way, even, even against our will, it seems. And that is the nature of the material world. And then here, let's, uh, let's examine this a little bit, the next sentence. The, the education that keeps the conditioned soul bound life after life is called materialistic education. Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur has explained that materialistic education expands the influence of maya. So let's uh, examine that uh, a little bit because, oh, and then I'll just, uh, no, I won't. And then the next paragraph. One may ask why highly educated persons do not take to Krishna consciousness. The reason is explained in this verse. Unless one takes shelter of a bona fide, fully Krishna conscious spiritual master, there is no chance of understanding Krishna. The educators, scholars, and big political leaders worshipped by millions of people cannot understand the goal of life and take to Krishna consciousness for they have not accepted a bona fide spiritual master and the Vedas. So, We've heard this, of course, many times uh, about materialistic education, and we need to, you know, examine that. For example, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, um, he was a court magistrate. He must have studied law, right? And he was a well-read person. He he was very familiar with uh, English poets. He 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 wrote a poem that mimicked um, uh, Long, one of Longfellow's poetry. Um, so he, you know, so was that materialistic education? Uh, and at the same time, um, we can understand that all the education in the world minus Krishna, then that I think we can clearly say is is materialistic. And so let's say we look at a um, uh, a standard university so let me share my screen for a second oh and let me let jay in first okay um so this is some of the departments at a famous university columbia university in new york okay so accounting african-american and african diaspora studies african studies uh, anesthesiology anthropology anthrop uh, applied physics architecture art history Asia and Middle Eastern cultures, uh, astronomy and astrophysics, etc., bio biology. I can tell you one thing. I'm very happy 
that there was a division of cardiology and a division of uh, anesthesiology because I had open heart surgery. I guess it's been 10 years now, almost exactly nine and a half years. So <laughs> I'm glad somebody figured out uh, cardiology and also how to put me to sleep during the, uh, during the surgery. <laughs> I think I would have died from the pain. And this is, you know, there's, there's five such pages here in, um, at the, and this is an Ivy League school, uh, Columbia University. So are all of them Maya? Well, yes and no. We could say that, you know, totally bereft of, of any connection of service to God. Yes. But can most of them, uh, most of them be used somehow in, in Krishna's service? Certainly. And we know that in our own congregations, we have, you know, um, can't, you know, we have candlestick makers. We may not have butchers, but, uh, but we have, you know, we have, uh, um, people of all different walks of life and they use that, uh, to maintain their families and also to help society. And a lot of those, uh, different departments, like I said about for my, you know, personal surgery, um, we, we take advantage of. In, in our day to day lives. So we, so when we hear these, you know, strong statements about, about materialistic, um, uh, education, yes, if, if we, we have to understand them in context that without the education about God, without the education of, of Krishna consciousness, then, you know, one, one may become very, very successful in this world. But what is the ultimate result of that? You know, Shama Eva Hikevalam, the, the Bhagavatam says very strongly that, you know, they, they're useless labor if they're not somehow connected with a higher purpose. Um, so that's the point that, you know, we, we, if we, you know, if you, uh, climb the ladder of success in your life and then at the time of death, you realize the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. That's the kind of uh, point that's being that's being made here. That uh, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur, in his Vaishnava humility, uh, would lament and lament that uh, I wasted my time in 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 materialistic academic pursuits. And and then Prabhupada says there there may be educators, scholars, political leaders worshipped by millions of people, but they don't understand the goal of life. And and, you know, we can understand that also these positions, uh, can change drastically, right? Just like, uh, for those of us, I try not to follow it too closely, but if you follow anything about what's going on in India right now, uh, at least in, in many parts of India, the popularity of the prime minister, which was running quite high, uh, just perhaps a month ago has taken a nosedive. So let's, I'm not talking, we don't need to get into politics in any way, if that was appropriate or whatever. Um, but the point is that uh, one can have millions of followers one minute and be, uh, you know, having tomatoes thrown at them the next minute. That's kind of the nature uh, of this world. So we want to be, and also this, this would indicate to us that as much as we learn about our occupation and do these things, we, we should really be taking the time to get a spiritual education. And that we don't see generally in most of these different parts of Columbia University or any university that there's an emphasis on education that you have to uh, show humility 
and and even you could say uh, submission to a teacher, to a guru, and that that's how education is really conveyed in the deepest way. And we saw that we see that even in in um, in the Vedic culture, the, the traditional culture. Even if, forget about you know Srimad Bhagavatam, Bhagavad Gita, but to um, learn mathematics, you would you would you know you would touch the feet of your teacher and you'd sit at his his or her feet and you would study in that way, knowing that if you really please your teacher, you'd get a lot more. Um, you learn a lot more because it's not just caught. It's also, it's not just taught. It's also caught. Uh, questions, comments? What does that mean? Taught as well as caught? Um, oh, that's a good question. That it's, it's, I mean, most things and, and certainly Krishna consciousness, but most things are, um, it's not simply academic. Right. If you're learning to be a blacksmith, you don't just study it in a classroom. Right. You learn under a blacksmith and you see how he or she does things. Right. And so in Krishna consciousness, I think we um, we hear lectures and we read books and things like that. But we also associate with those who are actually taking that and practicing it. And we see by their example and by the actually how they deal with the ups and downs of life. We learn a lot. We we see a living example of what we just read, and and I think that that's caught. You know, it's it's contagious in that sense. We we see someone who's we 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 go to the temple and we see someone enthousi- enthusiastically and and with concentration chanting their japa, and we become enthused to do that. Not just hearing them talk about how important japa is, but we actually see them doing it. Is that all right, Henry? Yes, that's very good. Okay. Other uh, questions or comments? I wonder what Nandi Muki thinks. She got her PhD. We didn't mean to uh, be belittling her academic pursuits. <laughs> Hare Krishna, Prabhu. Yes, Ananda Rupa Mataji. So, Prabhu, uh, what you have been just discussing, it's very Interesting, actually, it again brings us back to the importance of sadhu sangha and taking shelter of a pure soul. Mm, yes. There is faith in that. And so, I mean, there is no chance that we can be thinking that now I understand this philosophy and now I can just apply it without their help. Uh, again and again, uh, Maya or modes of nature, they pull us through different experiences and recently I had a very devastating experience. Yes, my condolences. Thank you, Prabhu. And uh, so, um, you know, the devotees have kept me a little bit sane because even though I understand this philosophy, I finally found that it is when I shared with them my grief and as they comfort me with their words, they constantly remind me of Krishna. They constantly uh, keep me grounded that chanting is the way that taking shelter of devotees and holy names is the way I can find some way to ex- overcome this mm. pain I'm feeling. And this is just, I felt I should share because similarly, people have all kinds of experiences, not necessarily loss of a loved one, but, you know, some other experiences. And since we are talking about education here and 
so we most of us we have experienced we have been through different um you know education uh, levels and we can totally relate to this that unless unless we really take association of devotees we take dust of lotus feet we cannot even begin to understand krishna uh. and that reminds me uh, shri prabhupad explained book about book bhagavat and person bhagavat so because right. both places you know we learn from realizations and that is the way eventually we gradually start developing the um understanding uh, you know about krishna about the past times of krishna about the past times of devotees um, we stay enthusiastic and engaged uh, otherwise i'm experiencing all that right now like it's happening in my life i see within my siblings their mental state what they are going through looking at them i get caught into that too at times but i'm able to you know pull myself out and relate it to what is happening in my life and how i can still be strong and focus on you know krishna's love through the loving memories yet comfort other people as well yet stay busy engaged you know like i i have been doing for last several years so this is like the, this is the greatest blessing actually you know and i can clearly clearly identify the education i have received you know all these years from my childhood that was oriented not to be you know that was totally academic education and here in bhakti life that's a different education and that is the education which is helping me now that's all i wanted to share thank you thank you so much and it was your it was your mother who passed away Yes, probably. Yes, Hare Krishna. And was it due to COVID? Well, COVID happened towards like you know she was already you know she uh, having multiple health conditions. She was slowly mm-hmm. dying since last two years. Acha. So it was like finally when uh, her heart was sinking, lungs are gone, and then she was hospitalized and she got COVID in the hospital. Oh, Krishna. And then she didn't last much after that because mm-hmm. there was no way. you know she blasted just after two days after that after she was identified positive mm. well i'm sure all of us on the call here uh, offer our condolences and best wishes to you thank you prabhu ji thank you so let I, us con- yes I have, a, i have a question so um yeah this this is also kind of a right along the lines of stuff that i um struggle with a lot uh so <clears throat> they're depending on which text or which portion you read and and the you know the many volumes of uh you know information that we have you can either get sort of pretty ex- i don't know what the right word is but very drastic examples of like how you should be acting which in order to be um you know renounced which would involve like no activities in the material world practically and completely renouncing you know becoming an ascetic and anything short of that you're kind of just in the hamster wheel <laughs> or or you can have the um sort of interpretation that well you can be uh working in the material mode but as long as you're doing it with krishna consciousness you know you're okay so the question that i i have is all right well how, what how does that look you know how does someone who's purely imbibed in the material world doing purely material things differ from someone who is in the material world but nonetheless still 
Krishna conscious, you know, does that mean that, okay, they have this high salary job, you know, they're high functioning and, you know, this and that, but they use the money for some form of Krishna consciousness. You know what I mean? It seems like this little middle ground that could easily be kind of convenient for those of us who, you get, I think you get. I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. So let's 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 try let's talk about this a little bit, okay? Because um, I think I'm looking at uh, only Gurudas and Henry are the two renunciates on the call right now. <laughs> uh, but but uh, so most of us are in the world. Um, but but let's 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 talk about this first of all. The Bhagavatam often is is geared towards renunciates. Okay, that's one thing mm-hmm. to keep in mind. Also, remember that when Prabhupada wrote a lot of these purports, almost everyone was living in the temple. If you look at it sociologically, uh, it was like in the 1980s after Prabhupada left the return to Krishna that um, even people who were married, they often still lived in the ashram. It was a very simple monastic life, almost almost you know, at least eighty to ninety percent uh, at the time that Prabhupada was was with us, and that may have impacted some of the purports. I, mean, I that's between him and Krishna, not for me to say, but certainly some of his lectures and talks and things. Uh, it was a very different, you know, in those days. Okay, I'd say ninety five percent. We used to what we used to say. What we say these days is ninety five percent of the devotees lived in the temple in Prabhupada's time. Now 98% don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so times have changed. And also we have different um, times in our life. Okay. Matter of fact, I was just talking about this uh, uh, a few minutes ago on another call. Um, we were talking about uh, a, a person who went to school in Brindavan. Uh, in the Gurukul there, and then came to America, and how he was so innocent, and even uh, girls were showing interest in him, and he didn't like he 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 couldn't read the tea leaves because he just didn't have that. And and with the help of some older devotees, he 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 uh, navigated that quite well by not having that whole, you know. So we're not saying everyone's going to be you know go to school in Vrindavan and have that kind of experience, but. Point being that early in life we have a certain focus, and then when we get married we have a certain focus. Now, just like you know, you Dean, you have a how old your daughter now? Three. Three. Okay, so yeah, so you're not ready to uh, take off and be a renunciate, <laughs> and uh, and I'm assuming you're in your early thirties. That's my guess. Um, Forty six. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. So, so when you're seventy six, life might look quite different. Mm-hmm. Right, and your daughter will be thirty-three years old then, and probably you know, um, you know, having her life that she's living, right? You know, I'm obviously in touch with you and all that, but you know, she's she'll be very much independent at, at that time. So there, you know, we, you know, the the verses are called shlokas, right? And so we have the little jo- joke, you know, different shlokas for different folks. So, and that also in that's also part of the the traditional culture that. In different stages of one's life, one has a different emphasis. And the challenge is that in the different stages, we find a way to uh, be connected to Krishna. 
It's obviously easier in the childhood stage, uh, just like your daughter, you know, she has a Krishna conscious mom and a Krishna conscious dad. And so she's going to get all kinds of Krishna consciousness, you know, almost uh, whether she likes it or not in the early stage, you know, and she'll have much more choice when she's a teenager and things like that. Um, uh, and then again, as we get old, and you know, we retire from our occupations and hopefully we've, you know, worked out a plan so that we don't have to be in total anxiety about money. You know, we have a pension or whatever, you know, we're like you're a government worker right now and uh, we'll, there'll be, you know, hopefully a good pension like that. Um, uh, then we can really focus on, on things that are different than when we were, you know, working our nine to five and maintaining our family. And, and like you said, maybe trying to, you know, finding ways to uh, give charity to uh, something that's connected, connected with Krishna. So yeah, so there's different times in our life, and and we, we and so when we read some of the some of the heavy statements in the Bhagavatam, um, <clears throat> that uh, like you know Prahlad Maharaj is preaching to, or, you know maybe what you were referring to in the beginning of the class, you know don't waste a moment, you know you spend half, you spend a third of your life sleeping, and then you you know this and that. You're when you're a kid, you're just playing around, and when you're you know, and when you're too old, you can't think straight, and so you know. Get it together now. He's speaking to his uh, to his classmates like that, um, or Rishab Dave's teachings in the fifth canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam, where he's he's speaking to sannyasis. Um, so we have so that's again also about caught and taught. You know the Henry's question a few minutes ago. So we would find someone or some group of devotees that we can kind of relate to. Well, it looks like they're actually. They got a job like I have a job. They have kids like I have a kids, and they seem to be nicely connected. Let me see how they do it. And you know, they're not going to tell you that uh, uh, to you know sleep you know sleep on the floor and you know only talk to your wife uh, during meal time when she cooks for you. You know, what I mean? it's going to be it's going to be a different uh, it's going to be a different thing than a renunciate might say. So so it's true what you're saying. We we want to find. Uh, that aspect of Krishna consciousness that we can really relate to in this point in our lives and practice it. And at the same time, we can read things like, like you read in the beginning of the next chapter and appreciate, hey, that must really inspire uh, a person who wants to renounce this world or, or, or a child growing up in a gurukul. And, it, and so I can really think that this is fantastic. It may not be exactly the details of that, exactly something that I can follow or should follow at this point in time. But wow, that's cool. So how does that strike you? Yeah, I appreciate it. That's good. Okay. Uh, so other thoughts on this point? Actually, we have a bunch of renunciates on it. Anandi Mukhi is a renunciate. And Jay, I don't think Jay's married. I'm guessing. I might be wrong. Um, no, you're right. I'm, I'm not married. Yeah, very good. Strict Ramachari, I'm sure. Trying to be, trying to be. <laughs> very good. And it's interesting, actually, just to bring up one other thing, uh, is things are, you know, it, it is interesting. I, so, you know, Brahmachari in ISKCON, uh, a, a renowned student, um, has a certain um, definition of that. So I remember uh, a few years ago, my son having this uh, very friendly debate with Vaisheshika Prabhu. And he was saying, I, Gopina was saying, I'm a renunciate. I'm a, I mean, I'm a brahmachari. I'm a brahmachari. And Saishi was like, 
what? <laughs> you know, because we think Brahmacharya lives in the ashram, goes to Mangalarti every day, you know, uh, you know, distributes books, does, you know, whatever the temple president asks them to do, and Gopinath, you know, living at my house and going to college, and he said, no, no, I, you know, and they were having this kind of fun debate, but they had, you know, different definitions of, uh, uh, you know, if you just want to say celibate student, then Gopinath saying, yeah, I'm a celibate student, now, you know, and Vaisheshikabu was saying, well, there's more to it than that. Uh, so anyway, it was it was very interesting uh, little conversation that they had. So shall we carry on? We have to hear more about Hiranyakashipu, and he wasn't very happy. After Pallad Maharaj had spoken in this way and became silent, Hiranyakashipu, blinded by anger, threw him off the lap, off his lap and onto the ground. Indignant and angry, his reddish eyes like molten copper, Hiranyakashipu said to his servants, Oh, demons, take this boy away from me. He deserves to be killed. Kill him as soon as possible. So, you know, we read some of Prabhupada's purports, how he was, um, I think he was, you know, just shocked that something like abortion took place, that a mother would actually consider killing their child. But here's a person who's five-year-old child. He's out, this, you know, Pallad's out of the womb. He's five years old, and still he's saying, kill him. You know, could you imagine wanting to kill your five-year-old child? This boy, Pallad, is the killer of my brother, for he has given up his family to engage in the devotional service of the enemy, Lord Vishnu, like a menial servant. So he's saying he's on my enemy's side who killed my brother, Hiranyaksha. Although Pallad was, is only five, year, only five years old, even at this young age, he has given up his affectionate relationship with his father and mother. Therefore, he is certainly untrustworthy. Indeed, it is not at all believable that he will behave well even towards Vishnu. Although a medicinal herb being born in the forest does not belong to the same category as a man, if beneficial, it is kept very carefully. Similarly, if someone outside of one's family is favorable, he should be given protection like a son. On the other hand, if the, a limb of one's body is poisoned by disease, it must be amputated so the rest of the body may live happily. Similarly, even one's own son, if unfavorable, must be rejected, although born of one's own body. So similar to, you know, we, we, the Vedic, uh, well, Vedic, uh, you know, Bhagavatam, comments or, or discussions are they're filled with all these amazing metaphors, right? So first a medicinal herb and then comparing a, a uh, renegade son to a, a limb that needs to be amputated. Very graphic, you know. Um, and then the purport Prabhupada gives up uh, I give some, he says give up the company, uh, this towards the end, of atheistic non-devotees. So again, if we're at work, we can't just say, well, I'm not going to talk to my boss because he's an atheist, right? Or, you know, or he eats meat or, you know, we, we, it's, we live in times that we can't necessarily do that, but we may not want to have, you know, intimate, intimate, you know, conversations and relationships with a person who uh, is like that. Pallad Maharaj maintained an attitude of non-cooperation with the philosophy of his father, Hiranyakashipu. That's an interesting Word. Where do? Where else do we find the word non-cooperation? Those of you from India should know. 
Gandhi? Yes, wasn't that Gandhi, right? Gandhi said, yes, <laughs> non-cooperation movement. So Prabhupada used the word here. I, I think it's very interesting that he used this. He could have used any other word, but of course he was totally, he was a follower of Gandhi at one time. And so this idea, so they did, they chose not to fight, but to not cooperate with the British Raj. And here he's saying, Prahlad Maharaj took it out of basically not cooperating <laughs> with the philosophy of his father, Hiranyakashipu. Yet he was tolerant and humble. Hiranyakashipu, however, being a non-devotee, was so polluted that he was even prepared to kill his own son. He just justified this by putting forward the logic of amputation. Next verse. Just as uncontrolled senses are the enemies of all yogis engaged in advancing in spiritual life, this Prahlad who appears, so he knew what was, you know, what yogis had to do. He wasn't just ignorant, you know, drinking beers and partying on a Friday night. You know, he, he, he knew what was what. Who appeared to be a friend is an enemy because I cannot control him. Now that's interesting. His father, he's saying I, he's an enemy because I can't control him. Therefore, the enemy, this enemy, whether eating, sitting, or sleeping, must be killed by all means. The Rakshashas, the servants of Hiranyakashipu, thus began striking the tender parts of Prahlad Maharaja's body with their tridents. The demons all had fearful faces, sharp teeth, and reddish coppery beards and hair, and they appeared extremely threatening, making a tumultuous sound, shouting, Chop him up! Pierce him! They began striking Prahlad Maharaj, who sat silently meditating upon the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Even though a person who has no assets in pious activities performs some good deeds, it will have no result. Thus, the weapons of the demons had no tangible effect upon Prahlad Maharaj because he was a devotee undisturbed by material conditions and fully engaged in meditating upon the, and serving the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is unchangeable, who cannot be realized by the material senses, and who is the soul of the entire universe. My dear King Yudhisthira, when all the attempts of the demons... Now, who's speaking to Yudhisthira? Anyone remember? Narada Muni. Oh, I can say that. Okay, sorry. I, sorry, I said it just a little too quickly. Sorry about that, Prabhu. A second to uh, unmute myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. We were just looking for our mute button, Prabhu. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, that's what they all say. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm joking. My Another dear... could be when is he saying it to Yudhishthira Maharaj? Earlier in the previous chapter, right? Yeah, but what was the incident that uh, caused that? Shishupas, you, you know, being... Right, 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 that's right, yes. My dear King Yudhishthira... When all the attempts of the demon to kill, all the attempts of the demons to kill Prahlad Maharaj were futile, the king of the demons, Hiranyakashipu, became most fearful, being uh, and began contriving other means to kill him. Hiranyakashipu could not kill his son by throwing him beneath the feet of big elephants, throwing him among huge, fearful snakes, employing destructive spells, hurling him from the top of a hill. Uh, conjuring up illusory tricks, administering poison, starving him, exposing him to severe cold winds, fire and water, or throwing heavy stones to crush him. When Hiradikashipu found that he could not in any way harm Palad, who was completely sinless, 
He was in great anxiety about what to do next. Hiranyakashipu thought, I have used many ill names in chastising this boy Prahlad and have devised many means of killing him, but despite all my endeavors, he could not be killed. Indeed, he saved himself by his own powers without being affected in the least by these treacherous and abominable actions. Although he is very near to me and is merely a child, he is situated in complete fearlessness. He resembles a dog's curled tail, which can never be straightened. Again, another <laughs> analogy, right? Another metaphor. Because he never forgets my because he never forgets my misbehavior in his connection with his master, Lord Vishnu. I can see that this boy's strength is unlimited, for he has not feared any of my punishments. He appears immortal, and that's interesting because Hiranyakashipu was trying to be immortal before, right? With his austerities. Therefore, because of my enmity toward him, I shall die. Or maybe this will not take place. Thinking in this way, the king of the Taitias, morose and bereft of bodily luster, remained silent with his face downward. Then Sunda and Amarka, the two sons of Sukracharya, spoke to him in secret. O Lord, we know that when you simply move your eyebrows, all the commanders of the various planets are most afraid. Without, uh, without the help of any assistance, you have conquered all the three worlds. Therefore, we do not find any reason for you to be morose and full of anxiety. As for Prahlad, he is nothing but a child and cannot be a cause of anxiety. After all, he is bad or good qualities have no value. Until the return of our spiritual master, Sukracharya, arrest this child with the ropes of Bruna so that he will not flee in fear. In any case, by the time he is somewhat grown up and he has assimilated our instructions or served our spiritual master, he will change in his intelligence. Thus, there is no need for anxiety. After hearing these instructions of Sunda and Amarka, the son of, the son, the son of his spiritual master, Hiranyakashipu, agreed to and requested them to instruct Pilat in the uh, system of occupational duty, which is followed by royal householder families. So uh, when I read this, I- I'm sure probably some of you had the same thought. It just sounded like what happened with Kangsa. Kangsa, you know, because Hirandikashibu was like almost like going to leave Pilat alone. He, this, he has some powers that I don't have, and I can't do anything about it. And he was getting fearful. And then Sunday and Amarka come along and give him this really bad advice, right? <laughs> really bad advice. So this happened with Kangsa as well. Um, from the fourth chapter of the 10th canto, I'll just read a little bit. According to the prophecy, the eighth child of Devaki would kill Kangsa. And therefore, when Kangsa saw that the eighth child was a female and heard that his so-called enemy had taken birth elsewhere, he was struck with wonder. He decided to release Devaki and Vasudev, and he admitted before them the wrongness of his atrocities. Falling at the feet of Devaki and Vasudev, he begged their pardon and tried to convince them that because the events that had taken place were destined to happen, they should not be unhappy for his, for his having killed so many of their children. Devaki and Vasudev, being naturally very pious, immediately excused Kansa for his atrocities. And Kansa, after seeing his sister and brother-in-law, were happy. He returned to his home. So it seems like everyone lived happily ever after. Well, after the night passed, however, Kungsa called for his ministers, just like Sunda and Amarka, and informed them of all that had happened. The ministers, who were all demons, advised Kungsa that because his enemy had already taken birth, 
somewhere else, all the children born within the past 10 days in the villages within Kansa's kingdom should be killed. Although the demigods always feared Kansa, they should not be treated leniently. Since they were enemies, Kansa should try his best to uproot their existence. The demoniac ministers further advised that Kansa and the demons continue their enmity towards Vishnu because Vishnu is the original person among all the demigods. The Brahmins, the cows, the Vedas, austerity, truthfulness, control, the senses and mind, faithfulness and mercy are among the different parts of the body of Vishnu, who is the origin of the demigods, including Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva. Therefore, the ministers advised the demigods, the saintly persons, the cows and Brahmins should be systematically persecuted. Strongly advised in this way by his friends, the demoniac ministers, Kangsa approved of their instructions and considered it beneficial to be envious towards the Brahmanas. Following Kangsa's orders, therefore, the demons became, began committing their atrocities all over Brajpumi. So doesn't that sound very similar to Sanda and Amarka and what they did with Hiranyakashipu? Hmm? Bad advice and following bad advice is we, uh, we should be um, careful. <laughs> right, whether it's bad advice about how to deal with your finances or how to deal with your spiritual life, or which you know, if somebody says, "Oh, you know, you should really buy a used Hummer. That's the best car for you." We should be careful about that advice. <laughs> Probably not the best advice for ninety nine point nine percent of the people. So we 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 do uh, we do need advice, um, but we have to be. There's a logical fallacy called appeal to authority appeal no appeal to experts or, or same as appeal to authority um and it's i remember reading a book about this on logical fallacies now this is it's funny because it takes you back a little bit but they were talking about um a person who approaches their friend who they know is a what do they call it an audiophile a person who knows a lot about about uh audio and this was in the days of, uh, you don't hear about it too much these days, but buying like high-end um, stereos with receivers and, you know, I guess people still buy high-end uh, um, speakers sometimes. You see in malls, sometimes there's a Bose, um, there'll be a store that just sells Bose speakers and things like that, JBL and all the others. So um, this person consulted their friend and their friend gave them advice, but their friend was giving them advice for like a five or $6,000 system. And, but the person only wanted to spend like, you know, 400 or $500. So in other words, even finding an expert in a, in a field, you have to be careful about what part of that field the expert are at or what they're giving you. You know, can a person who knows only high end things give you advice on entry level things? You know, you have a person who fixes up cars, but they all fix up, you know, um, uh, you know, Ferraris and Maseratis and Lamborghinis and things, and you want to buy a Toyota. So is, you know, even if that person is an expert in cars, they may not be an expert, you know. So similarly, somebody who may know like tons about very high Raghunuga, Bhakti, can they give you advice on where you're at and your level? So nobody is just an expert. They have to be an expert in the field and specifically, you know, um, um, be able to relate to what your needs, your interests, your concerns are. Right? Just like in Dean's question, you know, somebody asks a question about, you know, and they give you a whole answer. You know, you're a person who just, you know, married and have a three-year-old. They give you advice, you know, about renunciation. 
and they're a sannyasi. Well, this is what I do. And that, you know, so all I'm saying is um, we can learn from this that we want to take advice from people that we trust and that people who are knowledgeable. And so you may approach your, your guru or a sannyasi for instructions on spiritual life, but they, they don't necessarily, that may, they may not have the best choice in terms of uh, who the best plumber is to fix your, your, uh, you know, the, uh, the flood in your basement. <laughs> so, um, using, using, getting advice from the right person at the right time in the right place for the right subject is an art. And we should, uh, learn to practice that art properly. So some questions on that? Comments? Could I add a comment? Yes, please. Thank you. So current times, this, holds very nicely because during the time of pandemics, you know, there are various researchers, they're like, yes, we are going to get the vaccine and it's going to cure everything. And we saw the same advertisement going on about Moderna, Pfizer, and so many other vaccines, constant. Um, and in case of Prahlad, means again, he's more intelligent and the teachers in this case are Shanda Namarka, they're sons of you know, Shukra, uh, Shukrachari, and they want to please Hirakashipu, but they have their own economic development and comfort as their focus as well. So that advice is definitely bad. But at the same time, they are trying to fix someone who is highly elevated. It's like a teacher who is very bad in teaching third grade maths is trying to teach it to a postgraduate student, you know, how to do it wrong. And the student will never do it wrong because they have higher knowledge. But then their focus is just like current times. We see politicians doing it. We see so many researchers doing it. And this advertisement, again, we should be very careful to, you know, just take the advice on its face value. We need to, you know, be very careful to observe things as they are going on in the world. That's a very good point, Prabhu. Yeah, because uh, like, just as an example, um, before, well, before the internet, which was, which, you know, um, wasn't that long ago, by the way, Prabhu's, um, but before self-publishing, you know, you actually had to be, you had to actually go to a publisher and convince them that you were, um, knowledgeable about, you know, that this book is actually a, a good book that has good knowledge in it, good, you know, information, and you had to show your credentials and things like that. Then when computers and printers came up, you know, self-publishing came about and anyone could publish a book about anything. And of course, now with the internet and podcasts and blogs, literally anyone can say anything about anything uh, and, you know, make it available to the world. So, so very good point, uh, Jiva Tafrabu, that now more than ever, discernment and where one gets their information is, um, is, is very key. You know, just look, if you look at, uh, foxnews.com and msnbc.com, are you going to see, uh, the same reporting or the Huffington Post or whatever, you know, some liberal, and they're going to be very, very different. And you start seeing, when you look at that, you start seeing it how selective even news outlets are about what they report. Right. So it's something to be 
you know, aware of. And, uh, and that's why we're so fortunate to have Srila Prabhupada's books and, and his disciples' books that we can actually get knowledge from a source that we trust. Because even things about bhakti, people can put things on a website that are like, whoa, where'd you get that from? Well, that must be from the 13th canto of the Bhagavatam. Or 14th. Thank you, Prabhupada. Or 14th. <laughs> Thank you, Jiva <laughs> Yes. Okay. Uh, any, okay, so shall we ca- uh, carry on? Um, but I thought it was good. It was very, it was interesting, right? Sunday market, just like, he was actually, Randy Kashmir was actually starting to get some pretty good sentiments. And then same with Kongsai, oh, I'm apologizing. And, and then bad association. It shows about the uh, good and bad association. Henry? I, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Henry. I was just exercising. Oh, you were exercising. I thought you were. Uh... Go ahead, Dean. Yeah, I have a quick question. Uh, it seems like the term um, demon or demonic, would this, you know, as opposed to like actual demons, we think of it, it's, it's, it's more people who aren't just aren't religious or, or right. just, okay. Very so good. We... Yes. Yes. It, it, it's, it's one of those Sanskrit words called asura. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, doesn't so easily, and Prabhupada used, uh, chose a quite a colorful English word. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, it, but you, it's a very, you're bringing up a, a very important point. Um, besides that can be, in other words, that can be extrapolated from your point that there's a number of situations like that in Prabhupada's books. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I have obviously been a, a Farsi linguist. I have a lot of experience with this where you see a translation. And, you know, Farsi, they, yeah, you, you get what I'm saying. Um, there's yeah. a lot of times where I'm, I'm reading these texts and I'm like, I, God, I bet you if there's really not an accurate English equivalent exactly. for the word that they wanted to translate here. Um, for instance, the, the use of the word planets, like if such and such happens, you'll be born to another planet or a higher planet or a lower planet. Like I'm, fully convinced that there's a heck of a lot more to whatever word they translated as planet mm-hmm. in the actual Sanskrit, well, you know, it's not just like a, a sphere. <laughs> well, it, it, or it's a group of planets or spheres. Yes. But, but you, now you, I think you, and as a linguist, you understand the, you can imagine the challenges that Prabhupada had mm-hmm. to, to sometimes very complicated, um, uh, Sanskrit, uh, you know, very detailed things. Into uh, this came up the other day on a call I was with. with I, I, there's a class every Thursday. If anyone's interested, I can send you a link by uh, Jayadwaita Swami. It's an Isagosi. He just takes questions and answers. And and of course, he's very familiar with this because he was the editor, Prabhupada's editor. And uh, someone asked him about the word Adam because Prabhupada says someplace that Adam is the smallest um, thing you can find. And this person said, well, actually, now scientists say there's something much smaller than the atom. Within the atom, there's this, this, and this. And so Jaitwaita Maharaj was saying, well, you, the actual word is uh, Paramanu, you know, and Prabhupada just translated it as Adam at that time. And probably in the 70s, it might have even been that atoms were the smallest unit that one was aware of, right? Um but the actual Sanskrit is uh, Paramanu. So there's so many things like that. And it's amazing how um, 
Prabhupada was able to convey the essence. I don't think any of us on this call misunderstand the essence of, uh, of his message, uh, even with that challenge. And he even talks about this, um, Asnandi Muki or, or Raghunandan or someone, anyone to find that verse, uh, that Prabhupada quotes in every introduction, Tadvat Bisargo Janatastya Pikpapo. Um, and because Prabhupada quotes that in every volume of his, uh, Bhagavatam. And we can compare that. And now you're in trouble because Kinnery is also on the, on the class, in the class, keeping an eye on you. He was trying to call me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. and I, I told her I'm on a call. So. <laughs> Uh, yeah, someone finds that verse, we'll post it there. But basically, it's um, saying that, well, I'd rather just find the verse when it's, when it's found, we'll read it, because it's such a beautiful verse. And and I remember some devotees saying that this verse, it almost like predicts Prabhupada. <laughs> and there we were just talking about the three, your, your daughter, and now she's appeared. <laughs> Very nice. Okay. Um, let us uh, continue, but we'll go back to when we find that when that verse is found, we'll uh, put it there. Okay. So thereafter, Sanda and Amarka systematically and unceasingly taught Prahlad Maharaj. So, system, so they were into it, right? Systematically and unceasingly taught Prahlad Maharaj, who was very submissive and humble about mundane religion, economic development, and sense gratification. The teacher, Sanna Anamarka, instructed Prahlad Maharaj in the three kinds of material advancement called religion, economic development, and sense gratification. So that, for those who may not be familiar, that is like the, um, a progression. Um, you, some people become religious so that they can be, you know, well off. And then when you have a lot, of, when you have money, you can enjoy it. When you're frustrated with enjoyment, you seek liberation sometimes. Pallad Maharaj, however, being situated above such instructions, did not like them. For such instructions are based on the duality of worldly affairs, which involve one in a materialistic way of life, marked by birth, death, old age, and dis-ease. When the teachers went home to attend to their household affairs, the students of the same age as Pallad Maharaj would call him to take the opportunity of leisure hours for play. Pallad Maharaj, who was truly the supreme learned person, then addressed his class friends in such, uh, in very sweet language. Smiling, he began to teach them about the uselessness of the materialistic way of life. Being very kind to them, he instructed them as follows. So, just one. Just because I know the word revolution is in this, so I just did a word search for the word revolution. In uh... okay, on the other hand, that literature which is full of descriptions of the transcendental glories of the name, fame, form, and pastimes of the unlimited supreme Lord is a transcendental creation meant to bring about a revolution in the impious life of a misdirected civilization. Such transcendental literature, even though irregularly composed. So now Prabhupada, now we're not calling it irregularly. Prabhupada himself said this about, he said that, you know, I'm, you know, I had to translate this into English, you know, um, but even if it's irregularly composed, even if, in other words, even if it is sometimes hard to find 
English equivalents to a lot of words. If they're heard and sung and accepted by purified men who are thoroughly honest. Beautiful verse. Okay, let me go back now to... Uh, so, and the purport... Oh, wait. Uh, did I read the whole thing? Yes. Uh, Prabhupada says that Pallad Maharaj's smiling is very significant. That's the first sentence. Then at the end of the purport, he says, Therefore, as Krishna is always compassionate to the fallen souls, his servants, the devotees of Lord Krishna, are also interested in educating the entire populace in Krishna consciousness. Mistake of materialistic life is understood by devotees, and therefore they smile upon it, considering it insignificant. You know, there's different kinds of smiles, right? So, so kind of like, I can't even do it very well, but, you know, smiling like that is, oh, you know, this is so uh, insignificant enjoyment. Out of compassion, however, such devotees preach the gospel of Bhagavad Gita all over the world. And then the last verse, I believe, of this, yes, of this chapter Last two verses. My dear King Yudhisthira, all the children were very much affectionate and respectful to Pallad Maharaj. And because of their tender age, they were not so polluted by the instructions and actions of their teachers who were attached to condemned duality and bodily comfort. Thus the boys surrounded Pallad Maharaj, giving up their play things and sat down to hear him. Their hearts and eyes being fixed upon him, they looked at him with great eagerness. Balad Maharaj, although born in a demon family, was an exalted devotee, and he desired their welfare. Thus he began instructing them about the futility of materialistic life. And kind of similar to what we were talking about uh, a few minutes ago, Prabhupada writes in our Krishna conscious movement, the Gurukul plays an extremely important part in our activities. Because right from childhood, the boys at the Gurukul are instructed about Krishna consciousness. Thus, they become steady within the core of their hearts, and there is very little possibility that they will be conquered by the modes of material nature when they are older. And this is true if we, um, you know, different ages, we have to be, for those of us who have children or will have children, um, it's, let's, let's, be on, let's be honest, it is a challenge to be a parent. <laughs> let's, just, let's just put that out there, especially in this present day and age with, uh, you know, um, with smartphones, with the internet, with, um, if we are part of the, if we uh, um, are part of the Indian diaspora and have come to America, growing up, either we grew up or our children at least grew up in a culture very different than our own. Um, And, just the way the world is today, you know, my heart goes out to anyone who is a parent or planning to be a parent in the future. It is, it is, it is a great service. And Prabhupada, well, that's that, that statement, the, the uh, hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. It's, it's super important. And it is no doubt a much more challenging time than at least when we were growing up. And and I, and I don't see it stopping in any time future, becoming more and more challenging. Um, the reality is, and my wife is much more of an expert at this than me, that you know, up until a certain age, I don't know what it is, I think Irmala Mataji says eight years old, children are like sponges, and they can really soak up Krishna consciousness 
and they don't need a lot of other things. You know, there, there's, you know, they, you know, Krishna conscious coloring books and this and that, right? Um, as they get older and especially teenagers, they'll, there's, even if they've brought up in strict Krishna consciousness, they're going to start having doubts and questions. And lots of them are going to schools with people who aren't Krishna conscious. Um, and it is a real challenge to navigate that. And generally, um, especially, Growing up in America, they don't necessarily react to uh, turn your rounds, <laughs> read the Bhagavatam, you know, uh, as probably some of us have had that experience. It's it's a uh, challenge to find the ways and means to attract them to Krishna consciousness. And as and, and as I've spoken about many times, uh, the main thing that we can do is to be happy as devotees ourselves. That that and that answers Henry. That addresses Henry's point earlier. That that for our children, Krishna consciousness is also caught more than taught. So they catch it by just seeing their parents are having a great time as devotees, not having a great time, are 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 finding great satisfaction in being uh, a devotee of Krishna. You know, and it's not that they're uh, oh god, I got four rounds left. It's ten o'clock at night. Shnik shnikity giddy ray ray. Shnik shnikity. And while watching the ten o'clock news. You know, they, they see our, uh, children have, uh, incredible antennas for hypocrisy. They, they, uh, they, they have great radar for that. Um, my son many times has gotten his, uh, radar out on me over the last 29 years of his life. <laughs> um, so it is, it is, uh, you know, so, you know, it might have seen a simpler time. Oh, you just send your child to the Gurukula. They're trained by a guru. It's not so easy these days, right? In, in, in reality. So, but it is, uh, it pays off. It pays off. Um, and, and you can't, you don't know, just like, uh, so when I was uh, a child growing up, I was a little into track and field. And maybe some of you know a, a runner named, his name was Jim Ryan. Henry probably recognizes that name. So he was, uh, he would always have this, uh, competition with, uh, Kip Kino or something like that, a person from Kenya. And so Jim Ryan's thing was that he was way behind in the race. So let's say it was a mile race. So that means you go around the track four times, right? A track is usually a quarter mile. So he would be pretty far back until the last lap. And then what they call in, or even the last, half of the last lap what they call a kick the last part uh where you really um conserved a lot of your energy and and you could see him you know you get so nervous that i was a big fan of his i actually saw him race once personally in california when i was there and then he just starts passing everybody in the last leg so we we can't just judge our children by um you know uh this or that or attraction to something that's not Krishna conscious when they're 15 or when they're 10 or when they're 22 or when they're 42, you don't know what the last lap's going to be like. And we should remember that Krishna conscious is very, very potent. It's very powerful. And um, also, if you uh, look at those, that verse um, one, five, 17, I believe it. Oops. I didn't type that properly. I have to put a period there. Um, okay, that's just give me a second to find it. It's such a nice verse. Okay, and then 19, I think, is the one that I wanted to quote, though. 
yes, I'll put it in the chat also. And I'll read it. Uh, my dear Vyas, even though a devotee of Lord Krishna sometimes falls down somehow or other, he certainly does not undergo material existence like others, because a person who has once relished the taste of the lotus feet of the Lord can do nothing but remember that ecstasy again and again. So, you know, it's uh, we're we're in it with our children for the long haul, and they may you know go here or there for a little while, but they you know they have this taste for Krishna consciousness and grew up with it in a way that we didn't. So they're very fortunate souls. So we could give a whole talk on child rearing, which is not my total field of expertise, but um, I, I, I get it by osmosis by hearing my wife talk about it. And so similarly, if you see, um, the there's all these, um, I don't know if you've seen the advertisement yet for uh, ISKCON of DC, One Amazing Summer. So if you see the One Amazing Summer uh, program this year from uh, Memorial Day to uh, Labor Day, it's it's especially geared towards children. And it's not just all everything like totally, you know, shloka memorization or things like that. But it's mixing of Krishna consciousness with, you know, quote, fun. But children um, remember that and they, they, they connect Krishna consciousness with the temple and the temple being a wonderful place to go. And, and you know, there's going to be things with the cows and you know um uh, overnight you can bring your tent and or, and go camping on at you know the you know so all these different ideas that uh, some of the younger uh devotees um have come together for to, to create this program so you have, you have to we have to use our creativity in bringing up children in this day and age any questions comments on uh this statement by Prabhupada about the importance of uh bringing up our children in krishna consciousness Mm, not hearing anything. Hare Krishna Prabhu. Again, uh, I was looking for the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Prabhu. <laughs> so again, you talked about creativity. A couple of years back when we were like doing the Simadev program and all that times, we were asking some of the kids and I was uh, asked to you know give some of the classes because one of the teachers was not present. I was requested. So while discussing, the kids were saying it would be so nice that we only come to the temple on Sundays. If you could come here for two, three days of camping. Ah, there you go. So, yeah, we were looking at it. Yes, it would be so wonderful. But then kind of like we raised, we uh, shared that idea, but I don't know if it was. No, no, that's what they're planning. Uh, Okay, very nice. And also, I wanted to bring to everyone's information a few years back on, you know, how we used to have those uh, devotee appreciation evenings. And yes, uh, I remember Mataji once. um, Um. Planned it out in one of the evenings, you know, while uh, while the adults were busy inside the temple room, going through some kind of talk. Most of the, actually, most of the parents were with the children too, outside playing games, uh, where we are, you know, right now we host the events, that ground and the other side too. There was a lot of fun and everybody holds beautiful memories. I know my children do. Mm-hmm. They played a lot of games and uh, lot of things activities were done so they connect they feel they always hold that way like going to temple is such a beautiful experience yeah and Gopina did the human foosball if you remember yeah. yes, yes, <laughs> yes he did different things okay so we finished this chapter thank you for those comments Bruce. we finished this chapter and now we we all have we have 22 more minutes and we will see how far we get on um 
Now this, uh, on the next chapter six, this is also a famous, famous verse um, that Prabhupada would quote often. Komaram acharat pragnyo dharman bhagavatamiha dolabam manusya janma tadap abdruvam artadam. Prahlad Maharaj said, one who is sufficiently intelligent should not use the human form, the human form of body from, oh, I'm sorry, should use, sorry, should use the human form of body from the very beginning of life. In other words, from the tender age of childhood to practice the activities of devotional service, giving up all other engagements. The human body is most rarely achieved, and although temporary like other bodies, it is meaningful because in human life, one can perform devotional service. Bhakti. Even a slight amount of sincere devotional service can give one complete perfection. So Prabhupada writes in the beginning of the purport, the whole purpose of Vedic civilization and of reading the Vedas is to attain the perfect stage of devotional service in the human form of life. According to the Vedic system, therefore, from the very beginning of life, the brahmacharya system is introduced so that one is so that from one's very childhood, from the age of five years, one can practice modifying one's human activities uh, so as to engage perfectly in devotional service. A little later, modern civilization, not referring to the verdicts of Vedic civil uh, literature, is so cruel to the human to the members of human society that instead of teaching children to become brahmacharis, it teaches mothers to kill the child, the children, even in the womb. In, and then a little further. Indeed, men are living like cats and dogs, spoiling the duration of their human lives by actually preparing to transmigrate again to the degraded species among the 8,400,000 forms of life. The Krishna conscious movement is anxious to serve human society by teaching people to perform devotional service, which can save a human being from the, being degraded again to animal life. So, Balad was speaking, you know, in very firm words that we should use our human form of life um, carefully. Carefully. Um, and Prabhupada would say things like, you know, who's the oldest person in this class? The oldest person in this class is the person who's going to die soonest. We don't know who that is. It's not necessarily based on how many years of age. And I guess I, I you know, getting more a little bit more realization about, or at least thinking about more, um, this, what is it, Kamala Dala Jala Jivana Telamala, that, uh, that the human life is flickering. I was just on a call, let's see, two days ago with a devotee in India, and we were laughing and talking, and now he's on life support, just like that, COVID hit him, uh, and, uh, and his oxygen level is low, and, and I was just talking to him two days ago, and he seemed almost fine. Uh, he said he was, you know, feeling a little feverish. Uh, now he's in the hospital in India, um, Aradya Bhagavan Prabhu. So um, we're seeing, you know, and 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 of course we know how Ananda Rupamathji is affected. But any of us who have contacts with India, I think we all know people. Every one of us, you know, knows people who are. Um, either have COVID or who have friends and family members who have COVID. I don't think there's any one of us on this call who has any connection with India who, who could say that's not the case. Um, I'd be surprised because it's just like everyone I talk to. It's so, um, so 
It's uh, so therefore, you know, we we can say Al Pilatmar is preaching so heavy, but he's you know he's he's um, he's trying to wake up these his schoolmates that are going to be going down a very very different path than him. And you know, and of course, he didn't have a lot of time. Also, right? You know, he was doing this during uh, uh, recess time, as we would call it today, right? When the teachers were gone, so he didn't have time to, you know, kind of warm up very much. So he starts with the, you know, it's just like in uh, classical music. Sometimes the it begins with the big symbols, uh, you know. So he did that also. You know, immediately. Don't waste your life. Very, um, very powerful. Any comments or questions on this famous verse? Okay, and we can go on to the next verse, number two, which we're also studying. The human form of life affords one a chance to return home back to Godhead. Therefore, every living entity, especially in the human form of life, must engage in devotional service to the lotus feet of Lord Vishnu. This devotional service is natural. Because Lord Vishnu, the Supreme Personality of God, is the most beloved, the master of the soul, and the well-wisher of all other living beings. So this kind of tempers, okay, so he's speaking so heavy about, about the use of the human form of life in his last verse. But now he's saying, what well, is natural. I'm not asking you to do something unnatural. I'm not asking you to take up something that's not part of your very soul. I'm, I'm suggesting that you, 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 you actually engage in something that's that's enjoyable, that is wonderful, that satis- that is satisfying. I'm not asking you to, you know, stand uh, on one leg or take bath in the Ganges in the middle of winter. Or, you know, I'm asking you to do something that is connected to the very person you are. And then Prabhupada quotes. Uh, Famous verse, Bhaktaram Yagatapasam, Sarva Loka Maheshram, Suridam Sarva Bhutanam, Gathamam Shantim Richati. And Prabhupada said, well, the sages knowing me as the ultimate purpose of all sacrifices and austerities. So in other words, that we do our activities for his pleasure. The Lord of all, Supreme Lord of all planets and demigods, the owner of everything, and the benefactor and well-wisher of all living entities attains peace from the pangs of material miseries. Simply by understanding these three facts, that the Supreme Lord Vishnu or Krishna is the proprietor of the entire creation, that he is the best well-wishing friend of all living entities, and that he is the supreme enjoyer of everything. If we can do that, we become peaceful and happy. So Prabhupada is just asking them to become peaceful and happy. For this transcendental happiness, the living entity has wandered throughout the universe in different forms of life and different planetary systems. But because he has forgotten his intimate relationship with Vishnu, he has merely suffered life after life. Therefore, the educational system in the human form of life should be so perfect that one, that one will understand his intimate relationship with God. So that is the reality that we have an intimate relationship with God and pretty much everything else that we're trying to do in life is trying to fulfill that vacuum that we don't have that we haven't rekindled that relationship so we're looking for love in all the wrong places um, and that is that is a reality Raghunandan Prabhu has quoted a verse here 
Lord Kapila speaks to his mother, Devahuti, and explains how valuable the human form of life and among the human, one who follows Varnashram Dharma properly is better and goes all the way up to practicing devotional service. Thank you for that. That's uh, Canto 3, Chapter 29, Verses 28 to 33. Yes, so it's, it's um, something that we hear uh, again and again about that the human form of life is rare and it, and it should be used um, properly. Thank you for that. Other comments and questions on this verse? Then Prabhupada goes into the different relationships that we can have with Krishna, different uh, rasas. Okay, well, if there's no other comments, excuse me, then we're going up to verse number five. So verse number three, Pallad Maharaj continued, my dear friends, born of demoniac families, the happiness perceived with reference to the sense objects by contact with the body can be obtained in any form of life according to one's past fruitive activities. Such happiness is automatically in, obtained without endeavor just as we obtain distress. So we'll talk about, this is a really important philosophical point. I think we go up to five and then see, I think it keeps on going. Endeavors merely for sense gratification or material happiness through economic development are not to be performed for they result only in a loss of time and energy with no actual profit. If one endeavors, if one's endeavors are directed towards Krishna consciousness, one can surely attain the spiritual platform of self-realization. There is no such benefit from engaging oneself in economic development. So again, there's nothing wrong with making money. Maintaining our, you know, our family and, and doing that uh, dutifully and then trying to give fruits of our endeavor to, to Krishna. But that's not the, 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 it's a means almost. Uh, well, let's see. Wait, no, both, both are in one sense, you could say economic development, um, is a means both spiritually and materially. So it's a means to enjoy materially and it's and control and it's a means spiritually to um to take care of our to do our duty and to um uh, please krishna ultimately so it's just the it's, it's so you may see a, a Prabhupada would sometimes say you see a devotee and a non-devotee doing the exact same activity externally but internally doing in very very different consciousness so we should be careful about what consciousness we're doing our activities in. So what would you say is the difference? Between, how, how would the, those two individuals you just described, how would you say they, they might be perceived differently or appear differently? They won't appear very differently. Matter of fact, that's a great question. Um, one, of our, one of the great acharyas, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur, he gives this interesting example. He said, if you take two pieces of identical uh, silk cloth, I don't know, you know, if this works today or not, but at least in his time, and you hold one, you hold one of the cloths up to the up to a fire without blackening it, um, and I guess you keep it there for some time, and then you take it away. Well, he says that uh, that silk cloth, if you, they so then you take it away, and they both look the same, right? But the one that was put next to the fire, if you touch it, it just starts disintegrating, right? 
falls apart by the by the influence of the heat. So he gives the example. He gives this example that a person who is connected with God and someone who's not, they may look like they're doing the same activities. You know, they're both uh, you know whatever in the navy or you know uh, working uh, IT or you know working for the government or whatever. Um, but the reactions to their work are totally different. Um, because the devotee is trying to remember God, trying to remember Krishna, and trying to give some of the fruits of their activities to uh, a good Krishna conscious cause. Um, and so therefore, they're actually thinking of Krishna whenever they can, not obviously not nonstop, while they're doing their activities. They're thinking this is for Krishna. And that's what Krishna tells Arjuna in the eighth chapter, verse number seven of the Bhagavad Gita. He says, Tazmat Sarveshu Kaleshu Mam Anusmar Yudhicha. He says, Think of me and then do your duty. So Arjuna was a householder, he was a married person, he had kids, and he had his occupation, he was a warrior. And so he got this instruction from so our Krishna gave him a very hard instruction. He said, You know, think of me and do your duty. Um so externally people can look very, very similar. And internally, they can have very, very different meditations. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah. Okay. Thanks. Mm -hmm, sure. Anything else on this? So verse number, I think I just read four, right? So five. Therefore, while in material existence, bhavam ashrita, a person fully competent to distinguish wrong from right must endeavor to achieve the highest goal of life as long as the body is stout and strong and is not embarrassed by dwindling. Um, Prabhupada writes in the second paragraph, for one word in this verse, there are two readings, bhavam asritya and bayam asritya. By accepting the meaning of either of them will bring one to the same conclusion. Bayam asritya means the materialistic way of life is always fearful because at every step there is danger. Materialistic life is full of anxieties and fear, bhayam. Similarly, accepting the, the reading Pavam Asrita, the word Pavam refers to unnecessary trouble and problems. For want of Krishna consciousness, one is put into Pavam, being perpetually embarrassed by birth, death, old age, and disease. Thus, one is surely full of anxieties. Hmm. So going back, since it doesn't really, it's going back to verse number three. So this is an, it's, 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 it, this is, takes some thought to, to understand. So basically what Pallad Maharaj is saying, and, and this is stated elsewhere by other saintly people, that, um, don't try to be, don't try to be happy because the happiness is going to come of its own accord. Just like you don't try to be sad or upset or an anxiety, but it comes of its own accord. You don't try to be unhappy. But it comes, you know, based on our karma and things like that. Now, how does that relate to like practical things in life? Right? You know, you, of course, you go to the temple, I guess, to find solace and satisfaction. Ultimately, we go to the temple to please Krishna. Right? Um, so that is the devotional attitude that, so therefore a devotee, um, doesn't actually, I mean, an advanced devotee, and now we're talking about an advanced devotee, doesn't really think about their happiness and distress. It's not their consideration. That's 
that's my body's problem or that's Krishna's problem. My problem is, how do I please Krishna in any given situation? How can I remember Krishna? How can I chant Krishna's name? How can I serve him in different ways? So that is a level above happiness and distress. It's transcendental to happiness and distress. Even so-called happiness, I mean, even happiness, because there's material happiness and spiritual. It's like that, again, with Dean, uh, the word happiness can be used in different contexts, right? So sometimes we say, you know, we use happiness to indicate bhakti or spiritual happiness. And sometimes we indicate it to mean just, you know, relief from suffering or or the happiness of, you know, going to a uh, um, a nice restaurant or whatever, you know. So the this what Prahlad Maharaj is saying is that it's the 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 hallmark of a devotee is they don't they just don't spend a lot of time thinking about their happiness and distress they uh, how to find happiness how to mitigate the stress they're absorbed and this is a high level of thinking of Krishna's pleasure and that's you know the ultimate point that Prahlad Maharaj is making here. Any questions or comments on that point? I was just thinking about the last of this, um, you know, stout and strong and not embarrassed by dwindling or so. I just, I pressed the yeah, wrong button. That's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So um, what does that mean? Well, he's saying, uh, Prahlad Maharaj is saying that, um, and we're going to find out in the subsequent verses, actually, the details of this that will start next week. But that um, when we have our health, it's it's a lot easier to be Christian. <laughs> Just like uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur says, you know, first your health, then your sadhana. Because if you're not healthy, it's very hard to sit there and your mind is going all over the place or your body is in pain. It's very hard to perform one's, one's bhakti in that way. Um so and also when we're when we're very elderly, uh, when the body is really dwindling quickly, it may be that our memory, you know, uh, um, you know, dementia and uh, you know, like that, can take place. Or one is in a lot of pain and it's hard to focus on Krishna when you're, you know, really, really in a lot of pain. So while we're kind of doing well, you know, when when most of the time when people say, "Hey, hi, Henry, how you doing?" and you're doing, "Oh, I'm okay." You know, when you're in that level, that's a good time to really take Krishna consciousness seriously. Right? As most of the time, if you're in a you know nursing home or something, and someone goes, they don't want to ask you how you're doing because they might actually get an honest answer. Right? So that that's my understanding that when we're health, while we're still healthy, clear mind, stout, a strong body. Good time to practice remembering Krishna. Is that all right, Henry? Yes. And, yeah. and we have a hand up with the last minute. So go ahead, uh, either Jiva or uh, Ananda Rupa Prabhu. Hare Krishna Prabhu. So again, uh, it reminds me of my school time where the teacher said there's a big difference between Atmaram. His name was Atmaram, you know, so, <laughs> and librarian. Uh, so he said there's a big difference between Atmaram and Bhuktaram. <laughs> Bhuktaram mm. is like always outside. Atmaram is rejoicing inside. And the only reason he became a librarian so that he can study Vedic literature. He had all the Puranas wow. and everything in that library. Cool. So, yeah, so his concentration day in, day out was reading. So he identified that 
people who are materialistically driven, as we are studying today in the various purpose, Srila Prabhupada is explaining that the focus of a materialistic is on the outside. They're looking for appreciation from outside, recognition from outside, happiness outside. Well, all these things are inside when we serve Krishna. Very nice. He himself reveals everything to us and we become fully satisfied. While outside people who are looking like Bhuktaram, they are constantly, you know, trying to satisfy the senses and as we hear, and the senses are never satisfied. They're like the snakes, they're like the fire. Yeah. Thank you. So Prabhu's, we are at our uh, bewitching hour. We will continue on verse six of chapter six of Canto seven next week, Krishna willing. Thank you very much.